Well, I got to say, it is an honor and it is, I'm thrilled to be able to be here this weekend. Um, Pastor Derry sent me a text a few weeks ago asking about teaching on this weekend. And so I checked my calendar and I thought, yeah, I'd really like to do that. And so I've been preparing for this for a couple of weeks. And then as we were doing some, some planning, we realized that this weekend is the weekend that the Colorado Brewers Festival is happening in Old Town, Fort Collins. And it was really interesting for me to be teaching here on a weekend that the Colorado Brewers Festival is happening. And some of you know my testimony, and some of you do, and some of you don't. When I was 19, I met the Lord while I was a student at CSU. Um, some people shared the gospel with me, but it wasn't until after college that I fully submitted my life and really started following this man, Jesus, and really learning what the Bible had to say about him and, and what it said about life. For those years, up until that point after college, and I was about 22, 23 years old when I finally submitted my life to him, I was running from relationship to relationship. I was bartending in Old Town, Fort Collins. I'd stay out till two, three, almost every night of the week. And my life was really empty, and there was a lot of things happening that really caused me to rethink the way that I was living, living my life. And I remember Brewfest weekend when I was really in, entrenched in the Old Town culture. It was, a bi it was the biggest party weekend of the year. And then after I submitted my life to Jesus and I came on staff here about 10 years ago, I was working with the college students and the young adults and a group of people from Timberline would head to Old Town during Brewfest and we would use our church vans to drive people home and just give them a safe, safe ride home and share God's love that way. Well, I'm excited because for 10 years, Timberline's been doing this. And this weekend, there's, other, there's also people from Timberline at Brewfest right now that are giving people rides home. And the thing I love about them, the thing that it, that, that it tells me, and it amazes me how God trusts and uses broken vessels like me to communicate his love and to communicate his story and his hope for mankind. And, and it... And it it's something that I believe as we study through Exodus, it's absolutely the story of Moses as well. Moses was a person who too was a broken vessel, but yet he was used mightily by God. We're going to take a look at what that looks like. We're in a series in the book of Exodus. We're in a series called Off-Road, journeying with God's people as they walked out of Egypt, which we're going to be talking about, and then kind of their journey with God. We're going to look at this man named Moses, who was anointed as God's leader that he was the one that God had called to lead his people out of bondage. We're taking a look at this book, this book of Exodus. It's a historical book that's found in the Old Testament. It's the second, second book that we find in the Bible. It's a foundational text for, for other worldviews and other religions. The Jewish, Jewish faith uses Exodus as a core foundational piece of their, uh, of their religion, of their faith, because it points to God's faithfulness. And it's a story that talks about God's people and God delivering his people and fulfilling his covenants, his promises with his people. You see, in that region, the word of, or, or the stories of this I am God would spread throughout the regions and people wanted to find out who, who this God was and how did his people escape from Egypt. And so we have this book of Exodus. Many believe it points to Moses as the author of this book. And this book was written probably when the Israelites were actually wandering in the desert and other people were trying to find out, well, what were those stories like? And so when this manuscript was written, the book of Exodus, people would go and they would hand copy. There were scribes that would hand copy the words of the book of Exodus. And then other people would hand copy those. And that's how we have all these 
these different manuscripts. And we know that those manuscripts are correct because if one person would have miscopied it and there was 25 uh, manuscripts out there and one was different, then we knew that the 24 were ones that we could trust and the one would be thrown out. And there was a whole lot of care and concern that was taken when people would write these texts. And then this manuscript and 65 others were divinely put together to make up what we now have as God's word, the Bible. And so Exodus is a part of this, and Exodus is a story that tells us of the Passover lamb. It points to Jesus as the Passover lamb. This morning, we're going to talk a little bit about that, and how does Jesus fit in the story of Exodus when Jesus really didn't come until later on. If you have a Bible with you, I want you to turn to Exodus chapter 2. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, you've got an app on your Bible app on your phone, I want you to take that out. Go to Exodus chapter 2, because we're going to walk through some things verse by verse, and we're going to find out a little bit of the story of this God, this great I Am. If you go to Exodus chapter 2, you'll see at the very first verse of Exodus chapter 2, it says, it talks of Moses' parents. Now a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. You see, this is really important because if, you, if you're new to following Jesus or, or you're new to reading the Bible or if you're not a Bible reader, and this might seem a little confusing, one of the things that we see is God is establishing Moses as, as, as the leaders of his people would come through the lineage of Moses. That Later on, we're going to find that the Levite, the tribe of Levi, the group of people that, that are descendants of Levi, were to become priests in God's, in God's kingdom. They were the ones that were to stand between the people and God. And so God was establishing that Moses was going to be the one who was going to start this order of, of leadership in his kingdom. And then you see later on in Exodus chapter 2, you read in verse 23 that, that the Pharaoh had died when Joseph had brought the Israelites into Egypt. And then the Israelites were in bondage in Egypt for about 400 years, which think of, that's longer than the United States of America has even been in existence. They were in bondage for 400 years. Israel called for help. God heard that call. And then at the very end of verse 24, it said, God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And the reason that is so important, you're going to hear that over and over in the book of Exodus, even throughout the Old Testament. It's important because back in, back in Genesis, God encountered a man named Abraham. And he made a covenant with Abraham. He made a promise with Abraham saying that Abraham's descendants would be his people. And so the reason that we hear this phrase, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, is it shows us that God always fulfills his covenants. God always remembers his promises and he always fulfills them. They just might not be the ways that, that we want them to happen. And then in Exodus 3, we find that Moses has this incredible encounter with, with the great I am. But if we just look at Exodus 1, 2, and 3, and Pastor Derry and Pastor Jeff have done a great job the last few weeks walking us through these first three chapters of Exodus, there's some gaps that, are, that, that we need to fill in with the story of Moses because we don't get all of the story of Moses by just looking at Exodus. That's one of the most wonderful things about the Bible is you can always look somewhere else and Bible interprets itself and it fills in the gaps. I want you to keep your finger in Exodus and if you have a Bible with me, turn to the book of Acts. Go to Acts chapter 7. It's going to be up on the screen if you don't have a Bible with you. There is a man named Stephen who was a follower of Jesus at this point. Stephen was about to get executed because of his faith in Jesus. And he was about to get executed. And before he was executed, he kind of gives the story of God's people. 
And the interesting thing is he's giving the story of God's people to those who are the religious leaders, supposedly the leaders of God. And he's reminding them of what God had done in the past and how Jesus was the fulfillment of those covenants. So he starts off in verse two of chapter seven and he talks about the God, that God appeared to, his, to our father Abraham and established this covenant. And then in verse six, he says, and God spoke to this effect that his, Abraham's offspring would be sojourners in a land belonging to others, which simply means strangers in a land belonging to others who would enslave them and afflict them for 400 years. And then he goes in verse 17, and then he says, but as the time of the promise drew near, which God had granted to Abraham, the people increased and multiplied in Egypt until there arose over Egypt, another king who didn't know Joseph. And then in verse 20, at this time, Moses was born and he was beautiful in God's sight. And he was brought up for three months in his father's house. Jump to verse 22. And Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. That's important. If you mark in your Bible, I encourage you to underline this. He was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was mighty in his words and his deeds. When he was 40 years old, that's also important. If you want to circle that. When he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel. So we don't know a whole lot of what happened, but we know when he was about 40 years old, he realized those people that were, that were enslaved, he was actually a part of them. They were his brothers. And in verse 24, and seeing one of them being wronged, he defended the oppressed man and, and avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. He supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand, but they didn't understand. You see, we don't, we don't know exactly what was going through Moses' heart, but we could see that at some point when he was about 40 years old, he realized that maybe there's a call on my life. Maybe I'm created as a masterpiece, created by God for good works appointed for me years ago. And then he escapes Egypt because he committed murder and he killed the Egyptian. And then in verse 30, it says, now when 40 years had passed, how old is he now? 80, good job. An angel appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai in a flame and a burning bush. And it talks of this conversation that Moses had with, had with this angel God in the burning bush. And then he says, that God says, this is holy ground. Take your shoes off. This is holy ground. I've seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. I've heard their groaning. I've come to deliver them. And now come, I will send you, Moses, I'm going to send to Egypt. And so this series that we look at, it's not just about what's happened in the past. It's relevant to our time here right now. And I want us to walk through some things that Moses had encountered and some conversations he had with God. As I watch and see how Moses was the first deliverer of God's people, really pointing to what Jesus would do, in, would do for us, what we see, and if you're following along on the outline, I want you to fill this out. What we see is God is a God who hears and responds. God is a God who hears and responds, is willing and able to do something about your situation. That God hears and he responds and he's willing to do something about your situation. What we're going to do now this morning, we're going to walk through some of the conversation that God and Moses had. We're going to look at some of the questions that Moses asked God and actually some of the objections that, that Moses gave God when he realized that he was supposed to be the one to, to deliver God's people. Let's look at the first question, the first objection of Moses. It's found in Exodus chapter 3, verse 11. But Moses protested to God, who am I 
wait, who am I to do this? To appear before Pharaoh, who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? And if God has ever prompted you to do something, have you ever asked that question? Wait a minute, who am I that's supposed to be doing this? Maybe Moses was thinking back to the 40 years before, thinking to himself, well, God, I tried to do a rebellion back then, but you kind of left me out cold. Where were you then, God? Why is this time going to be any different? Let's take a look and see how God responds in verse 12. And God said, but I will be with you. And this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you when you have brought the people out of Egypt. You shall serve God on this mountain. So how does God answer Moses' question of who am I to go lead the people out of Egypt? How did God answer it? He didn't. He didn't answer, but what does he say? I'm going to be with you. He doesn't answer who he is. He says, you know what? It doesn't matter who you are. What matters is I'm going to be with you. You know what this tells me? This tells me that knowing God is with you is more important than knowing exactly what he wants you to do or what he wants you to say. That knowing that God is with you is more important than knowing what he wants you to do or what he wants you to say. You see, God's making it clear. It doesn't matter who you are. What matters is who the great I am is. And I don't want you to miss this point either. You can write this down as well. God is the one who would deliver. Moses was just to be the instrument. Then Moses was going to deliver anybody. He was going to be the instrument. God is the one who was going to be the deliverer. God was showing my ways are higher than your ways, for my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. The next question that Moses asked, let's go to verse 13. But Moses protested again. What if they don't believe me? What if they don't listen to me? What am I, what am I? Wait, I skipped one. I'm sorry. Objection two, what is your name? But Moses protested, if I go to the people of Israel and tell them the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they will ask me, what is his name? Then what should I tell them? And this is a conversation that Pastor Derry walked us through last weekend. And Derry did a great job showing us what God was saying is he is the self-existent one. He is the eternal one. That God will never forget his people or forget his covenants. Let me ask you this. As we took a look at last week and God saying that I am that I am, I am the self-existent one. Do you know God as the origin of all existence? The one who is, who was, and always will be? Or do you know that God is the self-existent one? Because those are two very big questions. Do you know God as the self-existent one, as the I am? Or do you know that he is? Because one of them has to do with knowledge. If you know that he is a self-existent one, that is great. That's a great place to start. But what God is saying, I want you to know me as the great I am. One's about knowledge. One is about relationship. Now, objection three. Who's going to believe me, God? But Moses protested again, and this is the text that we're in this morning, Exodus chapter 4, verse 1. But behold, they won't believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say the Lord did not appear to you. You see, what we're going to do, we're going to see God do some miracles and some signs here. And if you're new to the Bible, if you're new to following Jesus, if you're new to this church thing, you're going to hear a whole lot throughout the Bible about these miracles and these signs and wonders that God does. If you look through the book of John, you see miracle after miracle that Jesus did. 
The point of the miracle is never the miracles themselves. The point of all the miracles and signs are that they point to the one who does the miracles. So everything that we're going to see right here, and God's going to walk, walk us through, and we're going to see some signs that God does to show that he is the one that holds all of existence in his hands. The Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? And Moses said, a staff. And God said, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground and it became a serpent. And Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and he caught it and it became a staff in his hand. That they may believe that the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Let me ask you, what, is, what has Moses been doing for the last 40 years? Shepherding. What do shepherds hold in their hand? A staff. I don't want you to miss this. So for 40 years, essentially, God was, was training Moses. He allowed Moses to go into the desert to be a sheep herder. And through that, God was training him for what God had appointed for him to do. And then God says, what is that in your hand? And Moses says, well, it's a staff. It's what I'm used to using. I've used this for the last 40 years. I'm pretty comfortable using a staff. And God says, take that thing that you're most comfortable with using, and I want you to give it to me. And I want you to see that I'm going to do signs and miracles and wonders because that staff is what you're going to use to do what I want you to do. You see, you know what this tells me about our lives? This tells me in our life that God will equip us and gift us with talents and experiences that he wants to shape us with to be used for his purposes. But they can only be used for his purposes if we lay them before him. And we lay it before him, then he takes that thing that we're used to using, the thing that we already possess, and he uses that to do miracles and wonders that point back to him. But it was the one thing that Moses was used to using that he presented to God what does it say that Moses did from that thing? He ran from it. He was scared of it. The things that sometimes we are most comfortable with when we turn them over to God to use could be the things that cause the most fear in our lives. That I know for me in my life and myself, the hardest places and the hardest relationships for me to share my faith and what God has done with me is the people that are closest with me, my family of origin. The hardest place to share your faith could potentially be your neighborhood, your workplace, because there's a lot of fear that is there. But it also could be the place that God would use in an incredible way to display his power and what he does in our lives. Let's take a look at the second thing that God does. In verse 6, again, the Lord said to him, put your hand inside of your cloak. And he put his hand inside of the cloak. And when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. See, leprosy in this culture was something that was, that was deemed unclean. If you had leprosy, then you were unclean. You'd even go to a, to, to a leper colony. You couldn't even live with other people. It was a sign of uncleanliness. And it was probably because of some sin that you or your family members had committed. So Moses looks and his hand is leprous. And then, and then God said, put your hand back inside of your cloak. So he put his hand back inside the cloak. And when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. God is the one that can heal our uncleanliness. He is the one that takes that one thing that might cause us, cause us to be unclean before him, and he is the one that is able to restore it. This is key and foundational for us to understand. We're going to come back to this in a few moments. But I believe what God was doing is showing Moses 
that you cannot go out and do what I'm calling you to do unless you're cleansed by me. And he was showing him this through this sign in this wonder. Let's go to question number four, objection four. But Moses said to the Lord, oh my Lord, I'm not eloquent either in, either in the past or since you've spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and tongue. You see, Moses must have had some sort of a speech impediment. He might have had a stuttering issue, and he might have wrestled through that. But we see, remember what Stephen said about Moses in Acts chapter 7, verse 22? In Acts chapter 7, verse 22, Stephen said Moses was mighty in his words and his deeds. So how can that be true? How can Moses say, I'm slow of speech and I'm slow of tongue, but yet he was powerful in his his words and his deeds? Well, really, because of Moses' position in Egypt, what he did and what he said carried a lot of weight. And so it didn't matter that Moses didn't speak well. It mattered who he was. And it mattered that his words and his deeds carried a lot, a lot of weight. God God does a great job of using us when we think our shortcomings eliminate us. And so how God responds in verse 11, the Lord said to him, who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute? Who makes him deaf? Who who makes him seeing? Who makes him blind? Is it not I, the Lord? He turns the focus from Moses and the shortcomings of Moses to the greatness of who he is. And you know what I get out of this and how I see this? And I see this played out in my life and in lives of many people, that God never never calls people that are qualified, but he qualifies people as they go on the journey of discovering their calling that God never uses someone that is 100% confident in their abilities and believes they are 100% qualified to do what God calls them to do. But God qualifies them as they discover the journey of their calling. Moses may have been slow of speech, but God was perfectly capable of using him in the ways that he needed to be used. Let's look at the last objection of Moses. In verse 13, but Moses said, oh my Lord, please send someone else. I'll stay here, you go. I don't want any part of this. I can't do it. I'll stay, you go, God. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. That's a biblical way of saying he was really, really ticked off. And he said, is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he's coming out to meet you. And when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth. And I will be with your mouth and with his mouth. And I will teach you both what to do. You know what was interesting? God was never angry with Moses for asking questions. On the contrary, it was actually through the questions and the objection of Moses that he got to know God intimately. The only time that we see that God finally got fed up with Moses was not because he asked a question, because he was going to refuse to do what God had called him to do that God has a plan and God has a will and he wanted Moses to be a part of that. God was to use Moses and he allowed Aaron to finally be the mouthpiece. But it was Moses' staff that would do the signs and the wonders. And so here we are. We take a look at these questions, these objections of Moses, and we think to ourselves, well, where do we fit in this? How does this connect to where we are? Sitting in this auditorium in a wonderful, beautiful weekend, summer weekend in June in Colorado, sitting here at Timberline Church. What does this have to do with us? 
See, I know this, that everybody's life, if you're breathing and if you have a heartbeat, God has a purpose for your life. Your life, you are not an accident. The circumstances surrounding your birth may have been unplanned by your parents, but you were planned by God. That your giftings were planned by him. That he knew where you would live, where you would grow up, how you would grow up. He knew the people that would hurt you, your experiences, your friends, your neighborhood, your career. Even if that career has been interrupted by a layoff, he planned for all that. He knows who you are and all of it is done for his glory. Everyone's life has a purpose. Will you allow God to use your life for his purposes? Let me ask you to consider a few things. Was Moses perfect? No. Was he without sin? Was his faith and confidence in God fully complete at this time? No. I wonder what the last 40 years were filled with. He was 80 years old. You know what that tells me? You are never too old or never too broken to start doing what God has called you to do. You have not messed up too much for God to be able to use you. God used him anyway, and he will do the same for us. You see, for some of us, for many of us, probably for all of us, we don't have an angel in the bush talking to us. But what we do have is we have Jesus through his Holy Spirit living in us, if we call ourselves followers of Christ, prompting us and leading us to allow our lives to be about something greater than what we've allowed them to be. There's many stories of ambassadors, people from Timberline that are gone all over the world, all over the country, and right here in our own community to serve people. But you know, one of the great things is we don't have to go even outside of these walls to be used. Now, most of what we do absolutely is done in this community because we love this city, we love this region, and God calls us to make a difference. But you know what I also see? Two weeks ago, Pastor Jeff walked us through a great opportunity, and people wrote down prayer requests on sticky notes, and we brought them up front. Do you remember that? These are the prayers that our pastoral staff has been praying for for the last few weeks. And there are some hurting people and there are some areas where we're begging God to come through on behalf of people and standing in the gap for people. But this shows me that there's a lot of people here in our church that have needs. Let me challenge some of you men. Would you consider looking around, finding a younger man in this church, maybe after the service, and just simply saying, let's go out to coffee. And maybe hear about his life. Share about your life, areas that you've fallen short and how you're trying to pursue God and how maybe he's intervened at some point in your life. Ladies can also ask you. There's a lot of young ladies that are walking around here, ladies that are even your own age or maybe even older than you, that are going through a stage of life that have that look on their face saying, is this season ever gonna come to an end? Would you consider connecting with them, talking with them? Maybe for some of us, it's stepping out of this auditorium and going to Serving Central and finding a way where we can really get connected in ministry and serve and allow our life to be used for something greater than we've allowed it to be. We do a great job of using people's pasts against them, but God does a great job of using someone's past to equip them. Moses was the man for the job. I told you my story. I should not be here sharing. 
I shouldn't be up here teaching because of the things that I've done in my past, the areas that I've been in, I've, been, I've, I've loved drunkenness, I've loved lust, I've loved pride, I've loved money. I should be eliminated from being able to serve in God's kingdom. But then Jesus happened. And Jesus came and he intervened in my life and he restored me in the sight of God and he can do the same for you. And so that's why we gather in this place. And I believe with all of my heart, that's what the story of Moses is. Moses was the first deliverer of God's people, but what he did was he pointed to Jesus to be the ultimate deliverer of God's people. There's a fantastic verse that we've read for the last few weeks. And I want to point us back to this verse because it shows us something that I think is very foundational if we look at the original text. In Exodus chapter 3, verse 12, I want you to read this with me. And this is when Moses was talking to God and God answered, I will be with you. And this is your sign that I am the one who has sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this very mountain. If you look at the original Hebrew text for that word worship, it's translated as bondservant. That the original, the Hebrew word yours for worship in that context is to serve as a bondservant. And so do you know what serving and worshiping and living as a bondservant means? It means moving missions from events and trips that the church puts on to a lifestyle that we live then when we live as a bondservant to God saying, saying, I will be, I will do what you ask me to do. I'll serve who you ask me to serve. I'll share with who you ask me to share with. It means it becomes a lifestyle for each and every one of us. I believe God was saying to Moses, you guys aren't going to be slaves to Pharaoh or even sin any longer because you're going to be connected to me as a bondservant. You see, Moses must have been nervous and he didn't know how God's plan would pan out and that's okay. And as we close, I want us to realize sometimes being in the middle of God's will is the hardest place to be. And it's really hard to be in the middle of God's will because it's the most confusing place. The past is too far away and the future is way too uncertain. And so all we can do is be where we're at and to live as a bondservant before God. Let me tell you guys a secret. Please don't tell my church I said this, okay? So this is between me and us and Fort Collins people. I find myself trying to do kingdom work in a worldly way all the time. That I find myself relying on my own strength, on my own intellect, on my own power over and over again. And I see how it continues to fall short. And I think that might be the problem for many of us, that we are trying to do kingdom work our way instead of God's way. And maybe like Moses, when the first time he tried to start that rebellion, we give up and say, I'm out of here. I tried that, been there, done that. This might be a weekend where you re-engage. There's another man in the Old Testament. This man's name is David. Many are familiar with him. He was anointed king over Israel. And he committed some pretty bad crimes. He committed adultery and he committed murder. And then he realized what his sin was, and he writes this psalm, Psalm 51. I just want to read it to you. You don't need to turn there. But he's essentially going before God, and he's confessing before God over and over. In Psalm 51, listen to some of these things that David writes. Have mercy on me, God. I know my sins, and my sins are ever before me, but I've sinned against you. Purge me, God. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. 
Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. He spends 12 verses pouring his heart out and pouring his heart out and pouring his heart out. Confessing, God, I've messed up. I've messed up. I've messed up. And then in verse 13, it says, then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. That David knew that in his flesh, that in his sin, because of the things that he had done, he couldn't go forth and do the things that God had called him as a leader of God's people to do unless he confessed and came before him. And then he knew that as I confess, I am cleansed and can be continued to be used for God's purposes. There's a man named John who walked with Jesus. And John was one of the disciples that walked with him. And John wrote a gospel about Jesus' life, but then he also wrote some letters. In his first letter, he writes this in 1 John chapter 1. He writes, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so what I want us to do here together is I think for some of us, we need to go before God. It might be a time for us to confess those sins and to confess, God, I recognize that I've done things that have gone against your word, that because of what I've done, I'm separated from you. And in a few moments when I pray, I'm also gonna ask us to do something for some of us that wanna do this. This might be a morning where you might be just receiving that calling that you know that God has prompted you over and over to get involved in the lives of teenagers or get involved in the lives of men or women or lead a small group or serve in timber kids. What I'm going to invite you to do is we spend some time praying here. I'm going to invite you, if you sense that, to just simply slip off your shoes. Because just as God was talking to Moses and he said, this is holy ground, I believe this moment has the potential to be holy ground for many of us. And it might not be receiving a new calling or getting involved in a new ministry. Maybe it's coming back to something that we've run away from for whatever reason. But God has a call and a plan for each and every one of us. And I pray that we would embrace that. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you for this moment together. And Lord, I ask that you would continue to show yourself to be real to all of us here in this room that, Lord, you would lead us in the ways of righteousness. And so, God, as we come before you and as our hearts are bowed before you, our heads are bowed in this position of submission, Lord, we confess to you those areas of our life that we need to present before you. Lord, we confess to you those ways that we fall short. Lord, we confess to you those internet sites we shouldn't be going to or those things that we're spending money on that we shouldn't be spending on or the things that we're saying. Lord, we confess that we're doing things continually in our own power and our own strength. And this morning, God, we wanna come back to you. So Lord, I pray that you would receive us as we confess these things before you. And just as your covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob have come true, Lord, I pray that you would that we would show us that as we confess that you would... That you would um, Forgive us and cleanse us. And that, Lord, we can be confident that we are cleansed so that we can go forth and do those things that you're calling us to do. And so, Lord, for those that would say this is a holy ground moment, I pray that as we slip our shoes off, symbolic of saying, God, I have, I want to receive what you have for me. We recognize that it won't be easy all the time. 
the past seems so far away and the future is so uncertain, but yet we want to be right smack dab in the middle of your will, Lord. I thank you for this time together as a church body. I thank you that your purposes are greater than the lives that sometimes we make of it. We thank you. We pray this all in the power of the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you, church. So God, I thank you that you have a plan for each and every one of us. Lord, I pray that through your spirit we would not shrink back and we would identify that we don't have to be good enough to do anything because you have the ability to restore us before God. We thank you, Jesus, in your name. Amen.